0: Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, sparkingwholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. (laughs) mm <laughs> Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey, and I am really excited about our show today. I know for me as a parent and for many of my parent friends, we have a lot of questions about how we can handle the uncertainty that our children are facing during this whole coronavirus pandemic. How can we best cope and help our, our children cope with all of these changes that are going on in our lives and all of these disappointments? Well, today I have the perfect person to come and speak on this and that is Carly Jaeger. Carly is a licensed professional counselor, registered play therapist, and a national certified counselor practicing in McKinney, Texas. Carly received her bachelor's degree in human development and family sciences from Oklahoma State University, go folks, before receiving her master's degree in counseling from the University of North Texas, where she specialized in play therapy. Most recently, Carly has spent her time working with children, teens, and their parents in an outpatient private practice setting. She wholeheartedly believes in the power of early intervention with the goal of setting kids and families up for the best chance for success in later life. So Carly, thank you for being on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Erin. This is so exciting.
0: Yeah, this is exciting. Okay, so in your bio, you mentioned that you work with children, teens, and their parents. So what are the, the age ranges? Like how young of children? How old? of you know? What are your main age groups that you work with?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so we, uh, do play therapy with children as young as three years old. Um, and for those listeners who maybe don't know what play therapy is, just a brief introduction to that is it's basically the counseling equivalent for children. Um, we meet kids where they're at developmentally. Um, and we believe that play is a child's first language and kids are way more expressive and organic, um, through play rather than having them just talk things out. So um, that's our best way to intervene with kids that age um, through play. So we do that. um, It's still full-on counseling, but it just looks a lot more bright and fun. Um, So we work with kids who are three years old, um, typically um, through about that middle school age, um, and then we'll move into more activity-driven therapy. um, And then we also serve clients who are teenagers or young adults, um, just doing traditional talk therapy. So we see a little bit of everything, but mostly under 18 is our main base, but there's really a wide variety you can imagine um, with yeah. that range.
0: That's a huge range. I mean, I have at my house, I have a three-year-old, a six-year-old and a 15-year-old. And just in those three ranges, I communicate very differently to all of them. And I know many parents listening would say the same thing that you don't talk to your three-year-old the way you talk to your seven-year-old or, or, you know, vice versa with your teenager. And it's it's hard and it's hard to speak that language and speaking that language of play, especially sounds really fascinating. So when you say play therapy, are you just like playing with toys? Is that what it is?
1: So it's part of what it is. We have a specific room in our practice um, that's our designated So we it is filled with all sorts of different toys, um, and it's not nearly as projected as, oh, your child painted with the blue paint, that means they're sad, right? It's more of what kind of behaviors is the child showing me? And a lot of times they're not even realizing they're giving me a lot of rich information and data. You know, a, a child will be able to express more freely how they view themselves and in the world, just as they go about different typical play behaviors. So there's all sorts of toys that serve different purposes, but there's no right or wrong way for a kid to really express themselves through play. Um, we get a lot of rich information. Um, some examples of that could be if a client or a child is, you know, making a painting, we have a, a really awesome art station, right? They're making a painting and then all of a sudden the paper slips and the, the paint drips down when they didn't want it. You know, a, maybe a child will crumple up that paper and put it in the trash can or even go so far as to cover up the trash can. Hmm. Right. So my job as a counselor is to say less about, Oh, accidents happen. That's okay. But we're digging deeper to say, what is this child communicating to me? So I would say something in that, like, Oh, it feels like it's not okay to make a mistake or you're really, hmm scared that I saw that. You're embarrassed so you don't want me to know that you didn't that didn't go how you wanted it to. So it's it's so much more rich data than me sitting a child down, especially a young child to say, gosh, it seems like you have a lot of perfectionistic tendencies. <laughs> How can we combat that? problematic thinking? Right? Like that will never happen. A child's never going to have that attention. They're going to think you're weird and they're going to move on with their lives. So it's really the whole, is just meeting a child where they're at developmentally. And you're right, especially with what you're saying with your kids in such different ranges. I mean, there's such a wide variety of milestones that each child reaches at their own rate, and so maybe with one you experience development one way, and then now it's something completely different with your next two kiddos, right? Like there's so many different factors, and that really is a lot of my job as well, helping parents discern what is a typical just challenge of development and what is requiring professional intervention outside of that.
0: Yeah, that's really good. And because that's really hard for a lot of parents, because I think a lot of us, especially parents that don't work with kids or don't have a lot of experience with kids, they see their kids demonstrating certain behaviors and they're not sure, is this this normal? Is this okay? Or is this something I should be concerned about? Is this... So you are that middleman of, you're the detective, right? And trying to find find that balance because i know that that's really tricky because even again with my first child i had no clue now that i have 3 i'm like oh they just all expressed themselves in stages of their life very differently because they're different kids and it's all okay so along with that so what do you think that pre let's let's talk pre pandemic <laughs> because i know sure. we talk you know i, I definitely want to focus on how to deal with the pandemic and coronavirus, and all these things that kids are hearing. But pre pandemic, what were the biggest things that you were seeing? What were parents bringing? Let's say parents with kids under the age of 10, what were the main concerns?
1: Oh, definitely. Gosh, it's so hard to imagine a pre pandemic world. I mean, we've totally transformed, but <laughs> that is true. <laughs> um, I would say, right? Um, Let me like way, way back. Um, I would definitely say there is just an onset thought of anxiety that is just ravaging all these kids. I mean, there's just so many expectations, um, whether those have been outwardly expressed from teachers, caregivers, or just internally driven, right? There's a lot of parents who are saying, we've once made this an expectation, but they are just struggling with perfectionism, right? Mm -hmm. But there's, there's so much pressure. And I think there's so many different factors and every town that we live in is different and every situation is unique. But just generally, I've just noticed that there's not a lot of space for kids to really Uh, experience an organic emotion. We're really Mm -hmm. quick to move straight on to a solution rather than kind of pausing and examining what's happening in that moment. Um, We're really solution focused society. We really value the quick fix and we're not here to really explore the, the deep touchy feely emotion about it. And I think what that's doing is it's leaving kids very disconnected and just overwhelmed because even if we don't acknowledge an emotion, it doesn't mean that it ceases to exist. Like it's still very, very much there, but now it's just this gnawing feeling. Um, I would also say it certainly doesn't. Have, we also live in an instant gratification world mm-hmm. um, where everything is accessible. Knowledge is way too accessible, especially for developing minds. And by that I mean there's really space to wonder and to really problem solve. Um, you'd be amazed. I don't bring my into my play therapy sessions, but when kids will ask me certain questions, you know, what's the capital of the city? I certainly don't know that off the top of my head. Sorry, fourth grade geography. But this, I'll say something like, oh, you know, I don't know the answer to that. And their first reflex is, well, just look it up. There's a discomfort in not knowing, and we're so used mm. to having just a quick answer of, oh, I don't know. I don't like that feeling of not knowing. Oh, but now I've got 4 million hits on Google about everything I could possibly know. Right? Like this it's really it can be difficult. And I'll, I'll notice that. And it's very therapeutic in that setting of the struggle of not knowing something. But I think it's just conditioned our kids to have shorter attention spans. And if we don't have an instant reward, it's really difficult to persevere and to continue to face those challenges. That's one of my major things that I see a lot when parents are bringing kiddos in or even bringing them in to say, do we need to be here, right? Is this idea of anything at the first sign of trouble, there's a complete meltdown. Children who are way past the tantrum age are completely regressing. And we're going, my nine-year-old is now acting like a year old. And that is absolutely disheartening as parents, especially because you thought you've moved past that. You're already high-fiving your spouse or partner saying, all right, we're no more of that. Mm-hmm. And then it, it revives itself years later. It's And so there's just a lot of chaos and confusion and just extreme amounts of scheduling and programming and just not a lot of fun. Um, it's really difficult to process through, deep emotions when there's just not the time. So I, I would say those would be some of my biggest ones that I see just yeah. painting with a pretty brush. Okay.
0: Right. So I'm going to go backwards. Cause you said like, 5,000 things there that I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I need to ask more about that. I need to ask more about that. So let's back up to, well, first of all, anxiety. I I kind of just based on what I've read and what I've seen and the people I've talked to, I know that's growing for everybody. And so I was not at all surprised that you said that. it, It breaks my heart that it's hitting kids at a younger and younger age. But I do think something you said that was so important is that kids don't have a space to experience emotions, to process emotions, and I don't think adults are—we <laughs> um, are not prepared to handle that either because most of us were not taught that and you know even with me and my husband my husband's a counselor and we try really hard and we're still not <laughs> the best at it you know like we the other day oh my my three-year-old he's he is just my straight shooter he teaches me so much about life he told me he was crying about something and I'll, he fell whatever it was and I was like oh right you're okay you're okay Just the thing that parents normally say And he goes no I'm not okay. And I was like, oh, you're right. You are not okay. Come over here. Let's talk about this. Because he wanted to let me know, you're not just going to brush this off, mom. You know, and I think that all of us, all of our kids are telling us that in different ways. It's that, no, I'm not okay. I Something is wrong. And it's coming out in behaviors and it's coming out in hyperactivity Mm -hmm. or impulsiveness or completely shutting down, right? I mean, those are all manifestations of internal anxiety and this loss of control or an inability to process, right?
1: Absolutely. It really is. My buzzword for that is it's simple dysregulation, right? Mm-hmm. Of we are not at our baseline anymore. Something has disrupted that. But now we're in a state of dysregulation or distress. And so you're totally right. There's several ways that any human body will respond to stress, right? Those same ideas of the flight response, if you're familiar, which is, you know, we kind of rev up. That's, um, especially in younger kiddos can look like just bouncing off the walls, right? Maybe they they just seem extra goofy and weird and you Mm -hmm. can't quite put your finger on it. And maybe Mm -hmm. you just think they're disobeying or just being, you know, a typical blank year old boy or girl, right? Um, but it also can look very different because I think of responses and even, um, Behavior on a continuum, right? On one side, we have kids who act out, which we don't need a whole lot of examples like that because we've all been in a grocery store or somewhere where you see this happening and you just mm-hmm. pretend you don't see and kind of look away or say a prayer for that, <laughs> that caregiver. Yeah, or if you, know, you have
0: been in that situation with or, a child, it's
1: <laughs> yeah. don't
0: look at me, nobody look, nobody yes. look please don't <laughs> call CPS. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly, or even. Um, like what your son was saying too, is he is literally telling you he is not okay and outward. And it is oftentimes not in a helpful way, but it's still a way kids act out. Right. So that's one end of the continuum. And then on the other end is acting inward. So this is one that really goes under the radar, but it's really important to pause and think about, right. Of some kids, instead of kicking and screaming, Maybe they become incredibly withdrawn, um, or they they just act. They don't they don't want connection. They just kind of disengage and just seem really closed off. Mm. Or sometimes it can just look like they're completely neutral, right? So as care or adults in these kids' lives, I mean, gosh, teachers love these kind of kids
0: mm-hmm.
1: because they're quiet, they follow the rules. They're not going to show you that they're having a hard time, but I. I challenge anybody listening to this to be reminded that just because we're not seeing a reaction doesn't mean that it's not happening. Because wherever any child or adult, for that matter, falls on the continuum, there is still a very real reaction that is triggering stress hormones and telling your body and mind that you are unsafe and that you need to be protected. That's where those responses Mm. of fight or flight... And then the other end of the continued the freeze response where we just shut down. Mm -hmm. It's a lot less known, but I think it's important to to know that there's all sorts of ways to go with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so helpful. And so with this pandemic that we're facing, kids are out of school. They are not in their daycare. They're off their routine. They're off of their schedules. I mean, my kids at it, To be honest, it hasn't really changed much in our lives. I homeschool. My daughter takes a lot of... She takes online classes at a community college anyway. So, you know, so it's not changing a lot. But... It's they're still picking up on my stress. They still know something's wrong. We're not going to the gym. We're not going to the museums. We're not going to the zoo, to the parks. Like there's so many things that we're not doing. So if we have kids who are already prone to, and I think all of our kids are prone to anxiety just because of all those things you just said. We live a fast paced life. Um, The other thing you talked about is the instant gratification. We have, we go from one thing to another. There's always activity. There are always answers. So we have kids that are, already at risk for struggling you know so how does this current crisis now magnify that or or amplify the issues Mm -hmm. what is your concern there um with your clients with kids in general
1: oh I mean how much time do you have I mean really (laughs) there is there is there's so many Implications, and I think something is that I remind myself of also is we are still in the middle of this, um. So we really won't be able to really look back and make full meaning of this for a while to
0: right.
1: really have a full and complete answer. But gosh, it's I, I've noticed that it's when they're not on their schedule, there's just an intense amount of concern. Um and also I, I truly believe that no kid is a island, right? Because we're all connected in a family system. Um everybody is interconnected in one way or another. So that can be a positive or a negative, or as I like to say often it's helpful or unhelpful. Because I like that phrasing. It's a little bit less shaming than good and bad. Um So, I mean, gosh, if, yes, maybe day-to-day doesn't feel super different, but there is real stress being experienced by everybody right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of times for younger kids, there's not a lot of context. And so all they are, all the information that they're receiving is that something is not okay, right? Whether or not they know the extent of that or can even understand it. And especially for children... um, who are in their younger years, um, their cognitive development does not allow for abstract thinking yet. It's like neurologically impossible. And so especially given this pandemic of an invisible virus, that is completely foreign for a young mind to understand. Right. So that's something that I, I say a lot with kids too is, or about kids would be that they're really bad at making inferences so if we think that they'll just pick it up and figure it out, <laughs> they're not going to. What they're going to do? Is they're going to assume the worst, right? Because if you think mm-hmm. about it, kids in their years are incredibly literal. They need grounding facts in order to make the world. Because that higher level um, grayscale thinking—it's not black and white. It's just not online yet. It doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And so, all the—if you think about it. With, we're not talking to our kids about this, right? If we're not being direct, precise, and concrete, they're only getting the fringe facts of mom seems tense now. Mm. I'm not allowed to support friends. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if, if I'm going to get sick, what's going to happen, right? Or even worse, if we're an older uh, preteen or teenager, uh, I'm on YouTube and, and I'm here to talk about it right? Mm. Like whose narrative do we want our children to hear? I think that's something that is so important to really fact check with them, check in on it, because there's a lot of anxiety that will brew from that as well. Because any mind, but especially an anxious mind, um, when we don't have all the facts, really kicks into overdrive to fill in those gaps ourselves. So that way we feel protected because we can try and know what to expect, but mm. almost never does it come up with a best case scenario. It's always right. generally way worse than what is actually happening, right? Where there's a child that really might believe that their whole family is going to get sick and die because all they've heard was we can't go outside because we'll all get sick. So, mm. I mean, it's just so important to see. Yeah, maybe we're not keeping the news on all day in front of the kids, but they're incredibly intuitive, even at a really young age. They can pick up on the stress and also at that young age, kids are incredibly egocentric, which means they're going to assume it's something that they've done wrong.
0: Mm, right? They're that's in the important. Sweetest
1: way possible, right? Like they're gonna think that it's all about them. Right? Like they're almost being punished or something along those lines. And so that can also be damaging to the self-concept if we're not there to add in some truth to that of, no, this is nothing about you, the whole world. This is, you know, adding some concrete facts because otherwise, even as I'm saying this, right, we can get kind of off on a rabbit trail of negative thoughts, right? Oh, no, now, next thing you know, is they've already drifted that way and they're probably having a stress reaction to that. But it's completely unbeknownst to us as the caregivers. So it's crucial to check in on that because, I mean, this has a great potential to, to spiral and become way more intense for these kids to experience.
0: Yeah, it really does. And I just, as you're saying that, I'm thinking back at just my own kids' responses and how they've been responding and, and the things that I said. oh, yeah, we can't, we can't go to church. We can't go to our, we do go to a school one day a week. We can't go to that. We can't see our friends. You know, we see them on the computer. And I don't know if, if I really explained what was going on. So how much information do we share with them? How much is too much developmentally? Um, how do we address that? What can we do to help them process and help them walk through these disappointments because it has been, I mean, we have a membership to one of the best science museums in the city and we can't go right now. And we were talking about dinosaurs today and my three-year-old was like, yeah, at the museum, like, yeah, we can't go. So how <laughs> do we, had, you know, all these all right. things that are so different, what, what do we do? How can we handle this?
1: I think one of the most important tools that any parent or caregiver can have is this tool of one, validating an experience for a child, but also labeling it with an emotion, right? Because Mm. especially as kids get older, they're, they're they're a lot more called in the facts of what's going on, right? It's crucial for them to feel safe and secure, but for them to really feel completely regulated, they need to understand the emotional component of that, right? Like with that example, you're right. We're not able to go to the museum today and that is disappointing. Right, it's it's that way of actually building a connection with your child while you're thinking too. Of, I, I sometimes jokingly call myself a professional guesser because um, <laughs> I will try. Uh, one of my skills is I, I'll label emotions that I'm seeing in the in the playroom as they're expressing something. I'll put a label on it and say, "Wow, you're showing me how angry you are as you're <laughs> doing this or that." Right, you know, and or gosh, that didn't go how you wanted it to. That that really made you frustrated, disappointed, or, I mean, there's so many different emotions, right? Um, but just throwing it out there, I think really helps narrate a child's experience. So that mm. way their brain makes sense of what's happening, right? Even young kiddos, three years old, they may not fully comprehend it, but it's helping prime those neural pathways so they can easier they can easily identify it later down the road too. of this is what it, this is what it's like to experience sadness. Mm. And it's also different from experiencing embarrassment, you know? And I think those are, those are really important because it's sometimes our tendency to kind of turn a blind eye, and go, oh, i they're they're closed today. Maybe we can go, you know, later, you know, because that makes us feel more comfortable uh-huh. as the caregivers. Yeah. We don't we don't really want to go there. It's because we have to acknowledge our, our own threshold for these emotions as well. Um, it it's really difficult to handle that, especially if it's there is so much raw visceral emotion right now that, that everybody is experiencing. Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of along those lines with that idea of labeling them, I hear from parents all the time, that sounds great, but won't that that just give them permission to just go ballistic? And by that, I mean, (laughs) um, Oh, you're showing how angry you are. They're afraid. That means the kid's going to take that as permission to just completely go and just tear up the house or do something like (laughs) that. Right. Yeah. Um, like, almost like you're dumb, a big idea. (laughs) And I like my response to that is generally, the child's already having that emotion, whether or not you acknowledge it. But what it does is it does the actual opposite effect and it's a calming effect. It doesn't say, all right, have at it. See how mad you can really get. But really what it does is it communicates understanding, which is the most calming factor for any child. Mm -hmm. Like and for adults sad, too, right? Calm down. yeah, right. Yes, right. I mean, what what individual has ever calmed down after being told to calm down? Right. <laughs> Nobody that I've ever heard of. Right. If you hear someone listening, call me. I want to hear it because, really, what we're looking for is we want somebody to validate us and to say, "Oh gosh, that looks like it hurt," because we're not. We're not you know, accepting misbehavior because of an emotion, but we are, you know, connecting with the child. We're accepting them and helping them understand themselves to help them become more regulated. So they're not in those fight or flight or responses. Yeah. So I guess that in light of the pandemic, that seems like, like the most important thing we can do right now is to really almost spell it out, almost tell a story. But here's what's happening, right? You know, and even older kids they don't they won't always ask for it, but they'll benefit from it, right? Of just saying, you know, it's it was so surprising that all of this happened. Nobody was expecting this. It can feel really scary not knowing if we're when we're going to be able to go to our, our school again. Mm-hmm. Right, and I, I know that's something for us to talk about in a little bit, too, of there's a real element of grief that is yes. crucial to identify because if we don't, we are simply putting our heads and we're ignoring a glaring issue, yeah. which will mean not actually move forward and feel close to each other as parents and children because. There is so much happening. So denying it or ignoring it doesn't make an emotion go away. It actually makes it fester more and come to the top or come through and even more or maybe inappropriate behaviors or problematic behaviors.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, then let's get into the grief. Let's start talking about grief because I, I, I love that. That was something that I just thought for myself. I told my husband today, I was like, you know, if I look at the stages of grief, which you know, you're going to have to refresh me, I know that they're in order I, or not necessarily always in order. I know I'm not at acceptance. I think I'm stuck between anger and denial is where I am. Like I go back and forth with just being pissed about this whole thing because it's stupid. And, or I'm just like, ah, it's, it's cool. I'm just, I'm just moving along. It, you know, so how do people experience grief along those? Like, is it similar? Is it, and how can we help them?
1: Oh, yeah, that's a great, great point. I mean, for those who aren't super familiar, the stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And so um, the thing about grief is we often think of it as a death, but really, Really, grief is a, a loss of something significant. Mm-hmm. And so, um, the other thing about these stages of grief is there's no linear passageway to go through them, right? We we then loop up, down, and back around. So, there's no way to say, oh, I've already gone through my aisle, so now I'm on to my anger. Or, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> just, oh, okay, it's been three days in this stage, so now I'm moving on. <laughs> um, again, with our, you know, so Bay based society, we would really love for that to be true, so we would know when the end date would be, right? Mm-hmm. But then that puts us back in the denial stage, right? So, mm-hmm. I, I think children experience all the same emotions as adults um they're just really lacking in the skills and awareness to navigate them and so it's so important as the adults in a child's life to be um, what i like to call a co-regulator because right now kids are really struggling to regulate independently and a lot of that is developmentally appropriate um but they're experiencing all these same things as well. Um, of just maybe not even in that linear phase, gosh, maybe I'm getting used to certain things being different, or maybe I'm used to being at home, but now something is reminding me of what it was like to be with my friends or maybe it's my birthday today and I don't get to have my birthday party. Right. And there's intense sadness to picture that for our, especially for our young ones. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and realizing that if it is important to a child, it is important, right? Things that maybe in our adult world we don't consider to be as crucial, but there's a really good chance they could actually be grieving that, right? Um, even even just attachment figures, right? Their teachers, Sunday school teachers, caregivers, um, you know, all of those people, coaches um that we're used to seeing consistently, they have been disrupted. That attachment has yeah. been disrupted. You know? And and that I know even for my friends who are teachers, they're grieving that as well. Yes. And so, so one of my true. phrases I say so often to I say so often to friends is, you know, you and I are sitting here and we're we're discussing this and Emotions are coming up for us, right? It's it's heavy and it's hard. And then I like to pause and say, let's dial that back to a three or four year old mind that's still developing and cannot is not at the same capacity as us. So let's really just start with grace first, yeah. And giving each other a little bit of a break of mm-hmm. we're going through something really hard. And we need each other. We really do. We need the kiddos in your life, need you to even just be with them and just yeah. process this through that with them. Right. They don't need you to come up with the vaccine yourself and <laughs> reopen the museum. Right. They, they need to know that they are not alone because they also want to grieve the loss of that connection between a parent and a child because mm-hmm. there's there's a, there's overload of grief that we really can also be experiencing as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's, but, grief too. It, it, there's a lot.
0: No, I just think just that is so helpful because as parents, depending on where we are in our stage of grief, I think that that's going to come out sideways on our kids. Because I know for me, when I'm, Bouncing around between whatever stage I'm in or, or a lot of times I'm, I'm bargaining and I'm thinking about the well what if what if the government did this and what if they you know or they should have done this or they shouldn't do this or how is this going to affect the election and how is this going to you know like I will go into like a thousand different catastrophic scenarios in my head and if one of my kids if I'm going there and one of my kids is like mm-hmm. mom I, I I need the snack I need crackers I'm like stop it. you know like I just I, I will snap like I just get so mad because I'm processing My own grief. And so I think that it's important for us to try to step outside of ourselves and and give grace to ourselves and also giving our kids a chance to like what if and on the flip side I something I do want to go into is is what if it's possible that during this time we could restore our families. You know, we could get away from that go 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 busyness like let's I mean because I'm a go 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 person and this has been a great way for me to sit back and go, hey, we're gonna play a game of life or we're gonna play bingo or we're gonna read some books, whatever it is. Cause I typically I would love to just go from one activity to the other and having fun and, you know, planning things and we just can't. And so in a way, like it's a, it's a way for my family to go sit outside and have a picnic on the front lawn and wave at the people crossing the street. You know, like it's a way for us to do things that we were never able to do. So is it possible? I, I read an article uh, in, in the New York Post actually that kind of talked about how maybe this is giving kids the course correction that they needed in this society that you mentioned, the solution focused society and the and you know, all these ways that we can't process emotions. Is it possible that parents could use this time to help our kids process, to restore our families? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Oh, definitely. And I, I think that's a really great perspective on this too, is it, it's nearly impossible for something to be so black and white, right? Of this pandemic is either all bad. And if you find any good in it, then you're clearly not thinking right. <laughs> there's, you know, there's a lot of kind of mixed perception, of those things. And I, I completely agree. I think there is a huge benefit to, Disruption on some levels, right? Of uh, it really does force us to slow down. It really does force us to dust off those those board games or find way for us to to really connect. And I think that's something, again, that is so crucial right? is that we, in our minds, especially as the hopefully more regulated adults in the family, right, is to to really make space for both um, sides. of of the coin here. Right. I think it's so crucial to be able to say, gosh, yes, it is really disappointing that we couldn't go to, um, you know, whatever picnic our church was planning or whatever the Easter egg hunt that I'm Mm. sure not happening.
0: Yeah. That's a big disappointment for a lot of kids.
1: Right. And it's to speak to that and say, gosh, that is so disappointing. However, I am at the same time, also really thankful that we are healthy and that we get to just laugh and play this game, right? Because that's something that's so crucial is that we cannot hold ourselves into we have to be one or the other. We have to be either just miserable um, or pretending like everything's great because you've got to got to have space for both because otherwise it's incredibly confusing for a child who mm. maybe is enjoying the base uh, the board game you guys are playing. It really, is sad that their baseball season hasn't started yet, and it probably won't until next year, right? Like it's again that validating piece of we've got to make sense of both because I, I I completely agree. I think there are so many benefits of a force reset right think about if your computer or phone or any kind of device is glitching Best way to do it is a hard reset you force it to shut down and then it comes back up it's usually a lot quicker for whatever reason clearly i'm more of a fan of the soft sciences than tech stuff so i couldn't (laughs) tell you but but i do agree i think there's a lot of things that have been beneficial and i think for parents um we know this will end because I just choose to believe that obviously this will end, but child parents to really think through what were some of the behaviors or connections we want to keep post pandemic, right? That's good. Rather than, you know, being a complete lockdown, but what were some of the benefits that we noticed, right? And that could even be a collaborative family discussion, You know, like, what are some things that have really been helpful? Oh, wow, I really loved that we got to play board games. We should still have board game nights once a week, you know, or gosh, I just loved getting to check in with everyone during the day. So how can we keep that going, even when all the noise of our day to day comes back? Because I think it will be very eye opening for all of us to see what actual benefits there are because um, like I said earlier, an anxious mind can fill in the gaps really cl- like really quickly on negatives.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: it takes a lot of discipline of our mind to say, right. But what's something that could go right instead of what's going to go wrong? You know, it's, it's a drastic shift of there is a possibility for goodness to come from this. And I think, It just takes a lot more effort to think through than the despair and the loss and the grief Mm -hmm. because we have to make space for both in order to really make this helpful moving forward.
0: Yeah, that's so good. And I think it, it, it just gives a, a good perspective on, I think one of the things for me, because I can tend to veer, like I said, towards a catastrophic for sure. But one of the things that's getting me through this is going, you know, I think when all this is over, I'm probably going to miss this time. My husband's working from home, which I'll be honest, is really annoying to work around his meeting schedule and my daughter's online meeting schedule and my meeting schedule. It's real tricky. Um, and our Wi-Fi has not been great. Like there are a Lot of things, that, but at the same time, we're all there and we have lunch together. And he's like eating healthier than he ever has for lunch, but you know, when he was eating out all the time, so yeah. like, so that's kind of fun, you know. Like, there's some we're working out together, which is fun. And so I think that flipping that and taking those moments to rewire those thought processes and helping mm-hmm. our kids to do that, um, I love. I mean, I could ask you a thousand more questions and go on forever. I do want to. Dive into one thing real fast before we finish up. We talk a lot about, um, or we have been talking a lot about the younger kids. Well, I know a lot a of lot parents of, of teens. I'm a parent of a teen, and some of our teens go inward, as you mentioned earlier. Um, I was not an inward teen, but <laughs> I happen to be the parent of one. And so, how can we best support, and it, not necessarily just the inward teens, but how can we best support our teens to make sure that they feel that we hear them and that we're validating? Because I think parenting teens is a struggle anyway, um, for a thousand reasons. <laughs> but what what are some things that we could do? Maybe it's the same thing in a different way. What what are your suggestions there?
1: Definitely, I think it is so crucial to to just bring bring this stuff, talk about it. You know, your kids and especially your teens are inundated this. With, with all day, whether or not they spend hours on social media or not, but it's always at the front of mind, And so it's really important for parents to not wait until the the kid or teenager brings up a concern, but to be more proactive, to see, hey, are there, you know, myths that I can bust for you? Are there things I could clear up? Um, I think a great way to do that is not to say, oh, what are you scared about? But more, what have you, what have you been hearing Right. That's a great door opener conversation starter of what are your friends saying? Are there rumors going around? You know, what are they, you know, because that's when we have all that catastrophic thinking. That's where that Mm -hmm. stopped in its tracks is, Oh my gosh, I heard from my friends. We're not going to go back to school till I'm 25, you know, and you can say, Oh man, that would be terrifying about, Mm -hmm. wow. Oh my gosh. Well, here's what we know is true for right now. Yeah. You know, and, and being able to speak to that because you're right, especially for inward kids, they're not going to come to and say, I am so overwhelmed at the thought of this never going away, or even that idea of grief coming back in right mm-hmm. there. Everybody has been affected and everybody has experienced losses, whether or not they're catastrophic or, um, seemingly kind of silly. Um, it's so important at parents to really make space for that, for, for those teens of, um, I hear that all the time. My teens actually right now is they'll be talking to be, me about their, their sadness worries, and they'll almost stop themselves and say something like, well, I know other people have it worse," and then kind of change uh, the subject. Huh? Like they're, they're, they're not, there's, a comparison thing going on yes. of if somebody else is having a hard time, that means I should just suck it up. Or, gosh, some people don't have a job, and so me not having prom, I should—I feel silly or I feel mm-hmm. shame. Honestly, mm-hmm. I feel a lot of shame or grieving when really it is so valid. These these teens—they don't know what it's like to be laid off. They don't know what it's like to uh, miss rent payment or not be able to buy diapers, right? And so they don't know that, but that doesn't mean that what they're experiencing isn't all stress as significant, but just yeah. in a different lens. And yeah. so I think that's you know, I, I, a lot because it's it's a way of I'm expressing a need, but I'm going to take it back because it doesn't feel validated or mm. I'm scared that even a well-meaning parent who's trying to cheer us up by saying, hey, it could be worse, or you
0: don't know how good you have it,
1: <laughs> right? Right, absolutely. I've, we're sending a message of that all of this, whatever emotion this is, is unacceptable. So you need mm-hmm. to put it away, and mm-hmm. that is so damaging for kids this age because they need place to process through that. They need to yeah. be able to to be sad or disappointed about whatever it is that has been disrupted because it's important to them and what's important. Yeah. Right. You know, I think again, I just, that's something that has come up time again in the past several weeks yeah. with me and my clients of, yeah. yeah, we have it good. So, so, you know, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be struggling. Mm-hmm. And so it, that, that piles on top of the grief too. And it's just, it's really chaotic.
0: That is super interesting. And I I think that's something as parents, we probably pass that on unintentionally to kids, you know, like, Oh, well, it's not too bad. So-and-so has this as we're trying to find the positive, you know? So, um, that's super interesting, but just to think, gosh, can you imagine if prom was canceled, you know, and you didn't get to go to your Mm -hmm. senior prom, like how heartbroken.
1: Like, Oh my gosh yeah absolutely yeah and there's there's also things like that we could put ourselves in those shoes right and say, yes, that is a big deal and I, I'm, I'm sad with you you know we that's really what these kids need is they need a, a connected adult they don't need a problem solver they don't need a silver liner <laughs> um, <laughs> there's all of those things that are going on that they really just need you to sit there and just hear them talk or not talk, but just accepting of that experience I think is so crucial. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, it's so, it's so true. Cause I think so many of us, I mostly just send a lot of memes and gifts to my daughter right now. (laughs) You know, like we're just sending back and forth weird stuff, but like she doesn't need to know what I've been reading on the, you know, survival rate or the death rate or the, like you said, like she doesn't need that from me right now. And so I think that those, those are good reminders. Uh, The last thing I'm going to ask you before we finish up, this has been so good. Like I said, I could go into more. Um, We'll just have to, maybe we'll have to have a post pandemic chat. Um,
1: (laughs) But Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, if you could give a person, uh, a parent, maybe one piece of advice to spark them towards wholeness, what would it be?
1: Gosh, that has—I mean, so if I have so many, which is maybe one of my big problems right now. But I think the first thing that comes to them in terms of wholeness is just—it's just that we are not meant or designed to handle hardships, um, alone. And so it is so important to lean inwards the ones we love, um, and letting that be the guider to, to right. Is we, we got to work together and, um, just give each other so much grace because we are incredibly resilient. Um, but the connection is really what's going to stick with us. Um, like you said, when the pandemic's over, that's what, the young kids, they won't remember much, but they'll, they'll remember the picnics outside mm-hmm. or, um, you know, the, the board games or that funny memory from something said that was crazy during that game, right? They're not going to remember in the missing of a lesson or a certain club. So I would just say that the connection is sufficient for right now too, because we're putting way too much pressure on ourselves to, just keep functioning as if the world isn't completely turned upside down, and so I guess that's to sum of that all up. I would just say that the connection is sufficient.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I, I like what you said, and just acknowledging that the world is not how how it normally is, and it's okay, and it's okay to yep. be in in those all those feelings. <laughs> um, I, so feel you know, your feelings. Yes. it's okay. <laughs> Yes, I think that and you said one thing that I'm definitely going to be blasting everywhere when I um, post this episode is that children need a connected adult, not a problem sol- solver. That is so, so key. Um, and, and that goes along with everything you just said there, too. So how can people learn more about you or reach out for support and find out more about what you do?
1: Definitely. So we have a Facebook page. Um, so our practice is uh, named... After um, my one of my colleagues, so it's just Terry Mills Manual Counseling. So you can find us on Facebook or our website is TMMcounseling.com. So on there we have our contact information, ways to get a hold of us individually, um, and on our Facebook page we try to share helpful resources. Um, we have um, on there as well a compiled list of resources that we have hand that we would recommend for sharing for kids. Um, one of them awesome. is also even just a illustrated storybook describing um, the pandemic to kids. You know, I know oh, you mentioned great. that earlier. How do we talk to kids about this? So um, we've got those resources there. Um, so if you check them out, hopefully that'd be helpful to everybody.
0: Okay, so it's tmmcounseling.com, correct? Correct. Okay. Okay. I'll list all of that in the show notes so people can find out more. And thank you so, so much for being on and for having this conversation. This has been so enlightening for me.
1: Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.